You take your Bibles and let's turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter number 19 tonight. Luke's Gospel, chapter number 19. We're going to begin with verse number 11, Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, and verse number 11. It says, in verse 11, it says, And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable, because he was nigh to Jerusalem, and I want you to notice this, and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But the citizens hated him and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him, to whom he had given the money, that he might know how, how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, um, because thou hast been faithful in very little, have thou authority over ten cities. Then the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five. And he said, Likewise to him, be thou also over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man, Thou takest up uh, that thou layest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. And he saith unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that I laid not down, and reaping uh, that I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest not thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury. And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. So for I say unto you, that unto every one which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that that he hath shall be taken away from him. But those mine enemies which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. And when he had thus spoken, he went up before uh, ascending up to Jerusalem. Now in our text, we have one of the many parables told by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We know that he used parables quite a bit in his teaching and in his preaching. In fact, it's recorded in Matthew 13, verse 10, that his disciples even asked him, uh, they said, and I quote, Why speaketh unto them in parables? And Jesus answered by, them by saying, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, 
but it is, uh, to them it is not given. Talking about the Pharisees. Now, he was telling them that the mysteries of the kingdom were for the spiritual man and not the natural man. He taught in parables to hide the truth from those who refused to believe. They were hardened in their unbelief. And that's the way that the Pharisees were. They were not going to believe. They didn't even believe after he rose from the dead. I mean, you know, they, the grave was empty. They knew that the disciples didn't steal him out of there, and yet they still did not believe. A parable is a short story that is told to illustrate a truth. Some have said that Christ's parables are earthly stories with heavenly meanings. And that is the case. The word parable literally means to lay something alongside another, referring to a comparison where one thing is compared with another, especially spiritual things with natural things, and by which means those spiritual things are better understood and make a deeper impression on the uh, mind that is honest, open, and attentive to what's being said. Now, in this parable, one of the truths that our Lord was trying to show his disciples was that the kingdom of, of God on this earth would be delayed. Verse 11 indicates that they misunderstood the timing of Christ's earthly kingdom. He talk, told them uh, that he was headed to Jerusalem and they were thinking that he was going to Jerusalem and with it being uh, um, uh, full of Jews that he was going to assume the kingdom. And he was going to overtake the once all these people that are gathered there for the um, uh, the Passover. Once once they were uh, gathered there for the Passover, then all of those Jews that were there would hear what he had to say, and uh, then Jesus would take and he would begin his kingdom, and he would rule, and Rome would be out. That's what they thought, and even. Later, after his death, burial, and resurrection, the disciples asked a question about the kingdom in Acts 1-6. After Jesus had arose from the grave, we thought, they thought, well, surely this is the time he's going to start the kingdom. This is surely is when the, the, the kingdom is going to begin. He was just prior to his ascension. Uh, that uh, it, They showed that they still misunderstood because they asked him in Acts 1-6, Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus answered them by telling them that it was not for them to know the times or seasons. And then he told them of the Holy Spirit's descent, said, you know, the, the, you wait and you tarry and wait for the coming of the Spirit. And uh, then when he, the Spirit has come, he commissioned them to be witnesses in Acts 1 and verse number 8. So let's understand that the Lord used this parable not only to teach that the kingdom of God would be delayed, but also to teach what is expected of his servants while he is away. And that's what we want to look at tonight, the manner of our service to Christ. Even though the kingdom of God would not come immediately, the disciples were admonished in the latter part of verse number 13 that we read there, the very last part there, he says, Occupy till I come. And by the way, that admonishment extends to us as well, we're to occupy till Christ comes. Now, let's look at the thought, this thought of uh, the manner of our service to Christ, because that is what occupying till Christ comes speaks of. In this story, we see that the certain nobleman, mentioned there in verses 12 and 13, 
gave each of his ten servants one pound and then told them, Occupy till I come. Now the nobleman is representative of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's the nobleman that's going to come back one day and set up his kingdom on the earth. And the servants uh, represent believers. And the Lord Jesus Christ, by his Holy Spirit, we know gives each believer gifts and abilities with which to serve him. Uh, if nothing else at all, we've been, given, we've been given the gospel, amen. We received the gospel, we got saved, and it's been entrusted unto us. In fact, we could turn to a place where it talks about that it is in our trust. But when the nobleman returned, he called his servants to give account of their stewardship. The first, having been given one pound, gained ten. The second one, given one pound, he gained five. But that last servant, having been given one pound, came, had not gained anything, but rather had just laid it up, waiting for the nobleman. He was afraid he was going to lose that, that he had. Now when, when we lay this story alongside of our lives as the servants of Christ, we need to understand that there will come a time when we're all going to stand before the Lord and give an account. Yeah, the nobleman's coming back, amen. And we're going to give an account to our Lord of our stewardship of the things that he has given us responsibility over. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So, listen, it's, it's of vital importance that we occupy till he comes. However, it is very easy for someone to misinterpret what the Lord is saying here. Many times we confuse the definition of words. The word occupy here means to be gainfully employed or to be busy toward to busy oneself with something. Don't confuse it with the another definition of the same word that means taking up space. Okay? He's not say he's not saying take up space until I come. That's not what he's saying. He's saying be, be gainfully employed or busy yourself with what I've given you to do while I'm gone. And there's a big difference between those two definitions. It should be obvious from the context here that we're to be doing more than just taking up space and sitting idly by waiting for the return of Jesus. Now the context of the word occupy shows that we are to be busy about the Lord's work, using what he has given us for his gain while he is in the far country. He is at He's there at the right hand of the Father right now. Uh, and we are to be gainfully occupied. That is, we are to be busy in His service. Now, those servants who are faithful to work wisely and further that which has been entrusted to them will be rewarded. That's another thing this, this teaches. You're going to be, if you're faithful, if you are busy, uh, and you uh, are, are faithful in the things that the Lord has given you, you will be rewarded for your service. While those who do not work for the name of Christ and the furthering of his gospel will lose the reward that could have been theirs. Now notice this is speaking of rewards. It's not talking about salvation. It's not talking about losing your salvation. Uh, each of the servants in this parable were already servants. Okay? Uh, they were already servants of the master. No matter how they used the gifts of the master, they were still his servants in the end. 
Now, each of us who are truly saved are indeed Christ's servants, and what we do here will not change that. But we do we did not employ ourselves with Him, uh, but in, in by grace He made us his servants, amen. He made us his own. And what we do or what we fail to do, even though it has no bearing on our position in him, uh, it will affect our rewards. But only our rewards can be affected. But the question comes is how do we do this? How do we occupy till Christ comes? What are are we to be busy uh, ourselves with? First of all, I want you to see we need to be busy serving the Lord with fear and love. We need to be busy serving the Lord with fear and love. Now, these servants were to be living their lives in anticipation, two words here, anticipation and expectation of their master's return. Should we be living in anticipation of the Lord's return? How about expectation of the Lord's return? It could happen at any moment, couldn't it? It could. Not, not only that, but listen, their master made it clear that they were to be busy in his absence. So read again, let's read again verses 12 and 13. And he said, Therefore a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. He was definitely planning to come back. Verse 13, And he called his ten servants and delivered them pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. So, there were two things that uh, were served to motivate these servants. First of all, the, their fear of the master, and second of all, their love for the master. The master that I love is coming, and I want to be ready because I want to be pleased. Uh, I want him to be pleased with me. Amen. Uh, yeah, whenever I read the story, just about every time I read the story, I'm mindful of being a kid and seeing my dad come home from work. You know, he, he would leave us with chores. You know, kids today missing out, and they don't have chores that are given to them to do on a regular basis. We had regular things that we had to have done when Daddy came home. And when I'd see that coastal de- decorator's truck at, at, at sometime after 5, probably about 6 o'clock, come pulling down the, the lane there, I knew I had better have what he had assigned me to do done. And so I, I love my daddy, but I it was uh, I lived in expectation and anticipation of his coming. Amen. And so I made we tried to make sure me and my brothers make sure that we had whatever he had given us to do that day to be to be done, because we were going to be given an account. Amen. And so uh, we know that the master that we love. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is coming. And I don't know about you, but I want to be ready because I want him to be pleased with me. And I hope you want him to be pleased with you. Now, the Lord has always sought his servants' love and fear. Listen to some Old Testament scripture here. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. The Lord said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. We know when you love the Lord... With your total being, you don't have any problem doing what he tells you to do. You really don't. He wants us to love him, don't we? Moses told the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 6.13, said, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, and serve him, and shalt swear by his name. Then in Deuteronomy 13, verse 4, he said, He shall walk after the Lord your God, 
and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and ye shall serve him and cleave unto him. Even in Joshua's day, Joshua also told them after they were in possession of Canaan. In Joshua 24 verse 14, it says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. And then the prophet Samuel in the days of the prophets uh, when he was the first prophet that came on the scene there and the, he told them again in 1 Samuel 12 verse 24 he said only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart for consider how great things he hath done for you. And that's, that's one thing if we consider what the Lord has done for us saved us from hell. Amen. Saved us to give us a heavenly home with him, that that ought to go a long way in us uh, loving the Lord and wanting to serve him. Psalm 2 verse 11 says, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Our fear of the Lord should cause us to be busy. Look at uh, Hebrews chapter number 12. I'm going to have you turn to a few passages here tonight. Hebrews chapter number 12. Now, trust, trust you'll take your Bible and turn with us and take a look at these things. Hebrews 12. And uh, what we see here is our, our, our fear of the Lord should cause us to be busy. Look at verse number 25. Hebrews 12, 25 says, See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, how much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven? <laughs> whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And, and this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which, uh, which cannot be shaken may remain. Uh, and we see in verse 28, it says, Wherefore we receiving a kingdom, okay, we receiving a kingdom, which cannot be moved. Let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. So our fear of the Lord should cause us to be busy. Look at John's Gospel, chapter 14. John's Gospel, chapter 14. And we see here in several different places in uh, John chapter 14 and John chapter number 15, we see uh, uh, our love for Christ should cause us to be obedient. In other words, we need to be busy with the things he told us to be busy with. Look at John 14 verse number 15. John 14 verse 15, he says, If ye love me, keep my commandments. Look at uh, verse 23. Verse 23, he said, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Look down in chapter number 15, and verse number 10. John 15, verse 10, if you, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Look at verse 14. Jesus said, You are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, 
but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. So our love for Christ should cause us to be obedient to our Lord and Savior. We, we need to be busy serving the Lord with fear and love. Second thing that we need to be, we need to be busy earnestly contending for the faith. Earnestly contending for the faith. That sounds like Jude verse 3, right? I mean, that's where we get it from. Jude 3 says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. You know, if we fail to earnestly contend for the faith, what happens is that there are those who will try to dilute the faith. There are those who will try to do away with the faith. We need to, to be earnestly contending for the faith. Um, Philippians chapter number 1, verse number 27 through 29. Listen to these words. Uh, Paul told the Philippians there, he says, Only let your conversation, conversation is talking about our behavior, how we conduct ourselves. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind. Listen to what he says. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. We're to have one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. He says, And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to, to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Our warfare, friend, is real. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. 2 Corinthians 10. And I want us to look at verses 3 through 5. 2 Corinthians 10. Uh, look at verse number 3. It says, For though we walk in the flesh... We do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, talking about spiritual warfare, you know, we're, this is not a flesh and blood battle, is what he's saying here. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not fleshly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and everything that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of of Christ. Now we're familiar with Ephesians chapter number 6 where we're told to, uh, to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to uh, withstand. Uh, in fact, Ephesians 6 verse number 10. Look, look at that real quick. You're not, you're not too far away from it there. Just a couple of, couple of books over there. Uh, Ephesians chapter number 6 and uh, look at verse number, verse number 10. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, 
against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Again, it's not a, it's not a flesh and blood battle. It is a spiritual battle. Therefore, he says in verse 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to, uh, to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. And then he enumerates all the pieces of the armor that are given for us to be able to withstand in the battle. Now, we must not let Satan and his forces win the spiritual battle in our generation. We know that we're living in a generation that it seems like we're losing the battle. <laughs> Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 16 to 70, he said, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this willingly, uh, if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. And just like Paul had a dispensation of the gospel committed to him, We've got a dispensation committed to us. You know, it's our responsibility. The generation, the times that we live in belong uh, to uh, us. To, it's our responsibility to, to take and stand for the Lord in these days uh, of apostasy. Now, uh, as 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13 and 14 tell us, we're to watch, we're to stand fast in the faith, we're to act like men. We're to be strong. We're to let all things be done in charity or love. We're to do that. Our warfare is real. Then our witness is required. Our witness is required. Acts 1.8, You shall be witnesses unto me, the Lord told his disciples. Matthew 28, verse 19, He told them, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Uh, then Mark 16, 15, he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Listen, we're to uh, witness for the Lord um, even back in the, the Old Testament. Psalm 107, verse 2 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. They were to uh, let know that uh, they had been redeemed by the Lord. First, First Peter, excuse me. First Peter three verse fifteen says, "But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear." Can you defend the faith? Can you defend why you believe what you believe? I, I trust that you can. If you're in the book. If you are, are a student of the, of the scriptures, you're, you're a lot better uh, uh, equipped to be able to do that. And that's what we're to be. We're to be uh, not only in the book ourselves personally, but we're to be uh, to come to the services of, of our Lord uh, here. And we, that's one of the reasons why we gather is so that we can uh, learn the things that the Lord would have us to, to learn and to be encouraged with the word of God. So we need to be busy serving the Lord with fear and love. We need to be earnestly contending for the faith. And then, last of all, we need to be busy showing forth the word of life. Look at Philippians chapter number 2. Philippians chapter number 2. <clears throat> Philippians chapter number 2, verse number 12, is where we want to see. Philippians 2, 12, Wherefore, my beloved... As ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my ab absence, work out your own 
salvation with fear and trembling. Now he's not telling them to work for their salvation. He's saying the salvation that's inside, work it out. <laughs> let it let it come from the inside and conduct uh, the behavior uh, you, that you live your life with. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For, be, for it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Notice verse 16, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Now, our mission there is that what there in verse 16, holding forth the word of life. That is our main mission. Without this, without us doing this, this generation is doomed. Apart from the gospel, there is no hope for this world and there's no hope for this generation that we live in. We must let our light shine in our lifetime in this sin-darkened world. Jesus preached in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 13 through 16, talked about how we're the salt of the, of the earth and how that we're the light of the world and we're to, to not hide our light, but we're to set it so that others can see our light. Amen. So we must let our light shine in this sin-darkened world. So that's our mission. It's holding forth the word of life. Our motivation. What motivates us to show forth the word of life? 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 and 15 tells us, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then were all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Listen, the love of Christ. So what, what does that mean, the love of Christ constraineth us? Is, is that our love for him or his love for us? Yes. Okay? Both. Okay? Our love for Christ and his love for us. That ought to constrain us. If we truly love Christ, that will constrain us to do what he told us to do. It will motivate us to show forth the word of life. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, he said, My beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Are we always abounding in the work of the Lord? He says, For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. These guys in the, in the parable that we saw, they uh, two of them labored, and they were rewarded. Amen. One did not labor. And uh, that that he was had been originally given was taken away from him. Uh, so, are we busy about the things of Christ? Are we focusing on and doing the things that the Lord would have us to focus on and do? Are we doing our part in the ministry of His church? Now, listen, the more folks that are actively involved uh, in any ministry, the more they, that ministry can accomplish together. Uh, for the Lord, ask yourself, you know, what kind of church would this be if every member was just like me? It's a good question to ask ourselves. What kind of church would this be if every member were just like me? Well, 
What if you're not saved? Well, let's flip back to our original passage there in Luke chapter 19. And uh, where, where, where does the unsaved fit in this parable? Well, look at verse 14 and verse 27. Verse 14, remember there were citizens, that, but his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And verse 27, but those mine enemies which would not that I should reign over them bring hither and slay them before me. Listen, if, if folks continue to refuse the Lord, it will not be well with them. It just will not. For the, the death that they'll suffer is called the second death in the lake of fire. And so, dear friends, let, let me just encourage us all that the manner of our servants will be to occupy, not take up space, but to be actively involved in the things of the Lord and doing what He left us to do. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you uh, tonight for uh, your 